Well, the air has gotten cool, for some of us cold, the weather seems to be fitting to a point for some of us. We're like, yeah, this is, this is what it should be like when we go cut the tree down or when we go buy it at Home Depot or when we get the stuff out of the attic. Um, and the sweaters are coming out, the coats are coming out, and the music's playing, and, and it, it meant the, the fill's in the air. And Advent is here, and, and it's an exciting time. Um, but this season can be a, a time that really can also pull on our soul and, and pull our affections in different ways and pull on our time in different ways. And so as we begin this season, I, I, I want to simply begin with, I, I think, a focus, a, a target, a really a goal for us this season and really beyond that for our, our lives. And it's one that many of us in here know, we're familiar with it, but sometimes we can get off the track. We can be misguided. We can miss the target. And so it's good to be reminded so we will not forget. And so as we begin this Advent season, I want us to do so with looking at our purpose and that we would see that we've been called to have an uncommon purpose, one like any other. It's unique. It's one of a kind. And so this season, as we begin, I want us to look at two questions this morning. The first is that, what is our purpose? Why are you and I here? Why are we breathing this morning? Why do we have blood flowing through our veins? What's the purpose to you getting and rolling out of bed this morning? Why are you here? And then the second question is this. And it's one that might set you back a little bit, but I want to ask the question, what if God was most concerned about your happiness? What if he was? Many would probably say, especially in our world, not a chance. Many see that, that God is one who may be viewed as a, a cosmic killjoy. But what if it was the exact opposite? What if God was concerned about your deepest gladness, your greatest joy, your happiness. What if he was concerned about that? Well, I want to break some news this morning. He is. He is concerned about your greatest joy. He's concerned about your deepest fulfilling gladness and satisfaction. In fact, he's so concerned about that that he was willing to put his son on the cross for that. He was. Let's think about it this way. If there was something in life that without a doubt made you and I, made humanity reach the summit of satisfaction and enjoyment, wouldn't we all want it? And wouldn't we do everything we could do to get it? We would. We most definitely will or would. Well, there is the greatest of all treasures. There's one that we can find and as a result can reach the greatest summits of all joy and gladness. And we know that treasure to be God himself. We know that great joy to be God, which we can know personally through Christ. And when we find this greatest joy, something happened. Something happens to where everything else in this world, the fleeting joys that we have, become nothing to us. And something else has become the greatest of gains, has become literally our exceeding joy, namely Jesus and exalting 
Jesus, which is to be our life's purpose. And so when you think about those two questions this morning, why are we here, what's our purpose, and is God truly concerned about our joy and our happiness, there really is with those two great questions, with their answers, becomes a great coming together. And, and here it is, that you and I were put here for one purpose only, and that was to exalt the glory of God. And in doing that, you would find the deepest gladness, the greatest joy, the greatest happiness. Where it looks like this, where, where can one find his greatest happiness? In God. Where can I be the greatest in joy and, the, and find the greatest gladness? In exalting Christ. That's where we find it. And so those two questions, their answers come together. To where you and I have an uncommon purpose with the result of an uncommon joy that can't be found anywhere else. You see, they're one in the same life. For one finds his deepest joy in exalting Jesus. And exalting Jesus brings us our greatest joy. And so I want us to look at the scripture that Lucy read this morning in Philippians chapter 1. And I want us to begin in, in verse 18, and we're going to kind of dance around a little bit in these texts. It's familiar to some of us, this text is, but I love this. Because here's what we see. The Apostle Paul is writing, and we see just jumping off the pages with emotion, Paul's purpose and how it impacts his living, which we'll look at a lot, and then ultimately how it even impacts his death. And so, Paul's purpose, it was uncommon. Look at verse 18 at the very end of it. It says this. He says, yes, I will rejoice. He says, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and through the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ according to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. And then he says, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If you want a, a verse to memorize that, if you really get after it, take you a day or two, Philippians 1.21, put it on a note card, put it on that, that dashboard, don't cover the speedometer, but put it up there, put it on your mirror, at home, and, and verse 21, for to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. And wouldn't that be a great life verse, just to marinate on that, and just have that tucked away, hidden in your heart. And so what do we find here? Paul is writing, he's writing while he's in prison in Rome, and yet he's rejoicing. And why? Because Christ is being proclaimed. Um, the advancement of Christ is happening even while he's in prison. And so why is this? Why can he have such joy sitting in a cell? It's because of this. Because he has an uncommon purpose. And his uncommon purpose is that Christ would be exalted even now in his body, whether by life or by death. And what does it mean to exalt? It means to make something great. It's to elevate something. It's to magnify something. It's to give glory or praise to someone or something. 
We exalt something like the president when he's voted into office. We are exalting him to the position of president. And so Paul's desire was that through his body, through the way he lived, the way he thought, what he said, what he did, through purity, through holy living, through godly living, through righteous living, that Paul, as he walked by the Spirit, that Christ would be exalted in his living and also even in his dying. And so what was Paul's desire? Paul's desire that Christ would be seen as most precious, most valuable than anything else in his life. That he would exalt Christ to, to allow him to be seen as truly great as he is. So think about it this way this morning. I was, I was reading this week a devotional by, by John Piper. And I love just these short little reads every day that he has. And he gave this illustration. I thought, oh, that'd be great to, to just emphasize this point this morning. When we think of the word exalting something, of raising it up to, its, to a level, to a rank, to a position, it's also the idea of, of magnifying something as well. And, and you think of this idea of magnifying something, you think of two things, two tools that we can use to magnify something, especially in science. We use, what, a microscope, and we also use a telescope. You think of a, a microscope, a microscope takes things, and it makes things, what, look bigger than they really are. And if you take a, a telescope, it makes a big thing begin to look as big as it really is. And so think about that. Exalting and magnifying Christ for Paul is to make his God, his Savior, who is big and great and loving and glorious in all ways, that he would begin to look as big and as great as he really is in and through Paul's life. And so that you and I, like Paul has in mind, that, that you and I would be telescopes, for the world to see the infinite wealth, the infinite greatness, and the infinite value of the glory of God in and through what we think, say, and do during the day. In and through our life that the glory of God would shine brightly. You see, that's why you and I were created. The Bible tells us in Psalm 19.1 that the creation is declaring the glory of God. Even this creation, even this fallen state, we see the expressions of God's glory. And you and I, as the pinnacle of his creation, are to express that in and through our lives. You see, God is all about his glory. In Isaiah 42, 8, he says this. He says, I am the Lord. That is my name. And he says, I will give my glory to no other. You see, God is all about himself being exalted. He is the only one who can do that. If it's you and I, we're boastful, we're prideful. If it's God, it's awesome, it's loving, it's right. You see, if God's lifting up anybody else's glory, then he's an idolatrous. But he's not. He's about his glory because he is most glorious. And you and I were created to be about his glory. And that's what Paul says here. 
We're to magnify. We're to be telescopes to the world and to show the greatness of God, his value, how precious he is in our life. Now, when that becomes our purpose, guys, everything changes, right? How we view people, how we view our relationships, how we view our money, how we view our differing circumstances in life, so much so that Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 10, 31. He says, whether then, whether we eat or we drink or whatever we do, we do it for what? For the glory of God, that God would be seen as great as he is. And so in all our activity, and Paul says here, even in death, that our goal would be the exaltation of Christ. And so students, how does that look, back, look like? I think that means when you go back to school tomorrow, right? When you step on that campus, you've had this long break. It's been good. <laughs> you want more, right? You want more break? It's coming. It's coming. You get two weeks here soon. But you get back on that campus, and so what it's about, it's, a, it's about even in my studies, that I look even at my schoolwork. Why do I do my schoolwork? Well, according to Paul, I do it all for the glory of God, right? I step on that basketball court, or I play that sport, whatever it is, why? For the glory of God, it becomes my focus. I step back in that office tomorrow, right? To the rat race, to, man, whatever it is tomorrow. And I step into that workplace, and, and why do I do my work? It's not just for proactivity's sake. It's not just for output's sake. It's not just to check a box and say, I got this task done. No, it's for the glory of God. And when I go home today, and when I sit down at a meal, or whatever I do, I do it for what? I do it for the glory of God. So that's how big this is. That's our purpose. That Christ would be seen as glorious as he is. For some of us, we're gonna sit down, we're gonna have Thanksgiving tonight, right? Some of us are still doing that. We have remnants of the holiday season still happening even tonight. And why do we do that as we sit with family? The purpose is to exalt Christ. That's how Paul saw everything. In living and also in dying. And I want us to, to think about those two categories because look at verse 21. He says, for to me to live, so this act of living is Christ. It's all about him. And even in death, Paul saw it as gain. He saw it as gain. And look what he says in verse 22. He says, but if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me. And I do not know which to choose, but I am hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. And so Paul's thinking about life here. He's thinking about people. He's thinking about all the things he's doing, and he has in mind here exalting Christ in all of it, in all of it, in every endeavor. And so as we think about exalting Christ in life, I want to give us a few things this morning. The first thing I want us to think about is a belief. It's a belief that Paul had. And his belief was real simple, that he saw Jesus as more, as more. Because I think exalting Christ is seeing Jesus as more. And if we don't have that belief, I think we'll miss it. I think we'll miss the target. He saw Jesus as more. When you think about that word gain in verse 21, I think you think of more. That when we have Christ, we have more. Even in death, we have more. It's to our gain. He was, Paul, 
Jesus was to him more than enough. He was his great gain. He saw living for Christ as this great more. We live in a culture of more, right? More stuff, more things. We see it this time of year, wanting more of this, wanting more of that. And it's kind of how we're wired. And I think at the end of the day, why are we wired that way? So that we would see Christ as that more. And so here's what I think this means a gentleman by the name of Bill Lawrence wrote this, and I want us just to hear this. Just sit back and kind of listen, okay? Got your coffee there? You might want to take a little sip now. Uh, just kind of sit back and listen to this, okay? Listen to what Bill Lawrence says. He says this. He says, more always means less. There's always more out there somewhere. More opportunity, more recognition, more power, more control, more success, more money, more everything. But more always means less less. You see, to get more of uh, whatever we seek, we always end up with less time. That's what we do in life. We trade our time for whatever we gain. Now, everything in life is finite, but nothing is more finite and more final than time. There's more of everything else, but there's never more of time. We kid ourselves into thinking we have more time. We say things like, I'll put more time into sales, or I'll put more time into management. I'll put in more time into my golf game, or I'll put more time into this hobby, or whatever it may be. But we really don't have more time. We just manage ourselves differently in the time we do have. We'll never have more time. In fact, we have no idea how much time we do have. We look at the game clock and we think, I have years to go before the game ends. But only the great timekeeper actually knows how much time we have, and he's not telling. So here's the deal. More always means less. No matter how much more you get in the end, you always have less time. Now all of us need to go after more because that's the way life works. It's just that you need and I need to make sure the more you're going after is worth the less time you'll have once you get it. So what more are we going after? At this point in our life, what makes the more that we're seeking worth the less time we'll end up with once we get it? In light of God's purpose for you and I, this uncommon purpose that we're looking at this morning, what are the wisest ways that you and I can invest our time to give the most glory to God? You see, that's how Paul saw more. And Christ was his more. Jim Elliott, the great missionary to the Alka Indians in Ecuador, you remember his great quote. He says, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. You see, life, yes, is about more. But what or who is going to be that more? I pray this season, and I pray with our lives, that Jesus would be that more. That exalting him would be the great desire of our life. That we would see that as the greatest gain. That's a crucial belief. And when we have exalting Christ as our purpose, I believe that belief rises up. I believe that belief is just nurtured. I believe we make life central about Jesus 
and him alone. The next thing is we think about exalting Christ in life, we do so in every circumstance. That's how Paul saw it. Paul didn't think it was compartmentalized and here and there, and, but in every circumstance. And so listen to the verse 12, back up a little bit in chapter one. I want us to see a little bit here. Listen to what he says. He says, now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else, and that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Paul saw every circumstance, every circumstance, as an opportunity to exalt Jesus even in prison. And you see, Paul viewed every circumstance as an opportunity. Whether it was in sickness whether it was in health, whether it was in the good times or the hard times and in hardship and loss, Paul saw it all as an opportunity for the glory of God. So here he is in prison and he even says that the Praetorian Guard, those who were guarding um, the high officials like Caesar and other uh, important Roman officials, these soldiers even had the word of Christ spread to them. And so Paul saw every circumstance as an opportunity to exalt Christ to those who otherwise would never hear the gospel. And so how do we view our differing circumstances? The times we're in right now, the times that will come, whatever they may be, do we see them as opportunities to impact people that maybe we would never get to impact ever again with the gospel? You see, that's how Paul saw everything in life, everything in his day as an opportunity. And not only that, as he sought to exalt Christ in his life, for him, that meant impacting people. In every circumstance that he could impact people. Look at verse 14. It says that most of the brethren there in Rome trusted the Lord because of my imprisonment, or those trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. And so God, uh, Paul's impact, his testimony encouraged others in the faith to boldly share their faith and to live out their testimony in a real hard place where even their lives would be threatened. And then in verse 15, it says, Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. So Paul had those who were supporters and those who were detractors, but even those who preached the gospel out of envy and jealousy. You see, they were jealous of Paul's reputation. Even Paul saw that as good. Why? Because Christ was being proclaimed. You see, Paul was all about that. And so Paul's life impacted others. And ultimately, it caused the progression, the advancement of the gospel to spread. And then look at verse 22, real simply, the beginning, it says, but I, if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me. And what does he mean by that? Look at verse 25 through 26. He says, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all 
for your progress and joy in the faith so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. Paul had such a great influence on the lives of others. He saw that as fruitful labor, that more, that gain in his life. And look at verse 25. There's something he says here that I think is huge. He says, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress. Do we ever think that way? Do I ever think that I want my life to be about the progress of somebody else? I mean, often we're thinking about what? Our progress, right? Our advancement. And so look what Paul says here. Your progress and joy in the faith. Paul's focus was so other. It was so other-minded. He wanted to see others ultimately exalt Christ just as he was doing. And so for Paul, it wasn't simply about getting tasks done or checking things off the list. It wasn't just about output, but no, it was in those circumstances with those people wherever he was at that he ultimately would love Jesus, yes, but that he would love people. And this ultimately would exalt Christ. That was Paul's life. And look what happened. As a result, and because he treasured Christ as his greatest value, look at verse 18. Look what it says. He had an uncommon joy. He says, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. And so what makes Paul have the greatest gladness and joy? When Christ is exalted, the glory of God. And then he says, yes, I will rejoice Why? For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ according to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything but that all boldness, in all boldness, Christ will even now as always be exalted in my body whether by life or death. You see, Paul saw just as the 17th century theologians As they penned the Westminster Shorter Catechism, they said the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That was Paul's life. In fact, many have kind of changed that up and said that the chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying God forever. And that was Paul's life. Paul found his greatest joy and delight in living for the glory of God. He had an uncommon purpose with an uncommon joy. And so I think Paul would say this for this Advent season. He would say, Ridge Church, go after as much joy as possible this Advent. Go after as much joy as possible this Advent. Where's our greatest joy found? In exalting Christ. And so Paul would say, go exalt Christ. In living and also, even if it means death, That's what he says in verse 21. He says his greatest gain is what? Death would be a gain to him. Why? Why? What makes a guy say that, right? Because how many of us in here are thinking that and saying that? Maybe some. But Paul is saying, yes. In verse 23, he even says, but I am hard pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ. For that is very much better Great English, right? It's very much better to be with Christ. 
Have you ever thought about this before or realized that you will be out, you and I will be out of this body longer than we'll be in it? Our experience, what we're experiencing for the short amount of time called life will be so much shorter, just a blip on the map. than the time we'll experience away from it. And so what we do here matters. It impacts. And so do we see death as gain? For Paul, the emperor's verdict could be death as he's pinning this letter. 1962, or not 1962, AD 62, wow. Uh, AD 62, as he's sitting there in prison, he's pinning this letter to the Philippians. And he's writing this, and he knows as he's summoned, he's asked that he be sent to Caesar, that this could mean his martyrdom. He could die. And so, as he's writing this, he's thinking about death. And he says, you know what? If death comes, it's my gain. Why is it his gain? Because he will go to be with Christ in full consciousness, fully aware of being there without sin. He will be without pain. He will be without sorrow. He will have a profound rest in his soul. He will be at home. His citizenship as a citizen of heaven will be truly had. And the greatest of all, he will be with Christ forever. And Psalm 1611 tells us, is in the presence of Christ, right, is the greatest of joy, the fullness of joy, and pleasures forever that makes all the joys here on this earth seem small and fleeting and like nothing. And so that's why Paul can say, death is gain. You see, Paul's view of death and seeing it as very much better to be with Christ, it impacted the way he lived here. He knew that life was all about the glory of God and that one day he would be in the very presence of the glory of God, seeing Christ face to face. And until he got to that point, and he will in AD 68 when he will be martyred, But until then, even between this letter and his death, what will he do? He will live for Christ and exalt him. Why? Because Christ is more to him than anything else. So today, who is Christ to you? Is he that more? Is he that one thing that's worth less time? Is he that more? Is he to you better than anything else this world can offer? I pray today that we would behold him as such, just as Paul did. That we would exalt Christ in whatever we do, whatever circumstance, whoever we're around, that we would seek to impact them and know that that is where we find our greatest joy is when we truly are telescopes in this world showing the infinite worth of who God is through our lives because he is great. And so the question is, is he being seen for who he really is in and through our lives? The glory of God reached its climax in the coming of Christ. Christ came and he came to die. 
And in that great good that God did, the greatest of all goods in sending his son so that he would die for us, so that we could have life, the glory of God was seen at its greatest, at its greatest. And so my question is this morning, do you know Jesus? Have you ever trusted in Christ as your Lord and Savior? The Bible tells us that we can know God personally and we, like Paul, can have such a focus and target and goal in our life and so be radically different and uncommon in the way that he is and was. But it begins by taking that first step of trusting Christ as our Lord and Savior and finding him truly to be our great joy. So this morning, if, if you're here and you've never trusted in Jesus this morning, I want to invite you to do that. The Bible says if we will simply believe in our heart that God raised Jesus Christ after he had died for us from the dead on that third day, that if we believe in that same power that rose Christ from the dead, it says that we will be saved if we believe for him to be Lord of our own life. If we would confess that with our mouth, is that your belief today? Is that the confession of your mouth today? The Bible says if so, if that's your belief, if that's your confession, you will be saved. So trust in Christ today, believe in him, confess in him as Lord. Let me pray with you.